Welcome to the Board Game Workshop. I'm your host, Chris Anderson. This episode, I talk to Calvin Wong and Anna Maria Jackson Phelps about judging the design contest. I'll be at Metatopia November 1st through the 4th. So if you're at Metatopia, um, find me and say hi. I'm sure I'll be hanging out in the lobby after hours and I'm doing tests of comic auction and plutocracy which is probably going to have a name change soon so if you're interested in playing those or you have something you want to play or you want to be on an episode of the podcast which i'm sure i'll record at least one last year i recorded two so we'll see what we can do but um yeah so look forward to seeing you if you're there and enjoy the show I'm here with Anna Maria Jackson Phelps, writer for Board Game Quest and Girls Play Games and social media manager for Pencil First Games, and Calvin Wong, writer and co-host of the Ding and Dent podcast and content director of BoardGamePrices.com. But more importantly, to me at least, they're both judges for the Board Game Workshop Design Contest, which is a really long name, and I have to think about shortening it for next year, because I honestly have to think about how to spell it every time I write it down, which is a lot in the last couple months. And both of them have actually judged all of the round one submissions, something that I did not get anywhere near close to doing. So, welcome to the show. Thanks. Yeah, thank you for having us. So, let's start with, uh, you can each just give a quick little introduction about how you got into the hobby and what you do. I mean, I gave the, the quick rundown, but Anna Maria, why don't you go first? Um, okay, well, I've been gaming for forever, but I've only been doing this for about nine months. Um, I was at a panel at a convention uh, focused on women, and they didn't have anyone on the panel who was familiar with games, so I wound up actually taking a few of their questions from the audience, and afterwards they asked me to join them, um, and then it just snowballed till today when I'm uh, I got a little finger in every pie at this point. <laughs> cool, and Calvin? Oh, I started playing games, I mean, with my dad on the floor, you know, Battleship, Monopoly, but hobby board games was, I was in a game shop and I saw a copy of Risk 2210 by Rob Davio, and Risk was my favorite childhood board game, so I was like, yep, yoink, and that was in <laughs> 2000 and, I want to say 2001, 2002, and so I've been sort of like slowly growing my way into the hobby since then, but really, I got like really big into it, maybe seven years ago and that and you know started actually being aware of the industry you know rather than just oh hey board games are a thing and they're fun yeah risk is uh this was one of my favorite childhood games as well it's always hard to get people to play it though because they didn't want to sit down for a couple hours and lose (laughs) all right so i said i would start with the story of how this design contest started which i haven't really shared publicly yet so The reason the design contest started is because I did not have an episode of the podcast ready. It was, and I wrote down this timeline so I'd get it right. So I had an episode that I had to release on August 8th. I did not have any people set up to do it like the week before. It was kind of a tough schedule thing. So on August 1st, the week before the podcast was due, I decided I will announce the board game design contest. I had thought about having a design contest, but I had not planned anything out. It's just kind of a back-of-my-mind thing that I might like to do someday. I had just helped judge the um, the Buttonshy Jen Cant contest, and a couple months before that, the Boston Fig submissions. So I had a little experience with judging. I had entered a lot of contests, so I kind of 
knew the general idea of how a contest works. So I decided I have a contest. And in that week, I had, I wrote a blog post that Friday, so a couple days later, and that was just kind of a free-form stream of ideas of what I wanted the contest to be. A couple days later, I had the rules written up, posted it, announced it on the podcast, and then, and only then, did I start asking for judges, which, I mean, the judges are what make this contest possible. I could not do it by myself, and also, if I did do it by myself, it would not be nearly as interesting, because... I later found out from all the, uh, I sent out surveys to everyone, the number one reason people entered the contest was for feedback, which is not surprising. That's why I enter contests. The number two reason people entered the contest was to get their game in front of the judges. So the judges were massively important, both of you especially, because you did so much judging, which I still can't believe how you managed to do it. But we will go into that. So that's the thing, yeah, I, uh, I really had to throw it together kind of the last minute, and there's a lot of pushing, mostly pushing to get judges. That's the hardest part, just connecting to people. I know a lot of people on Twitter and Facebook and in different communities, but you don't know them super well, so asking them to be a judge is maybe not something they're interested in. Maybe they don't really know who you are, so they don't even return your message. So that was tough, but I reached out to a lot of people. Some of them reached out to other people, so there are levels of connections involved. So how would the two of you describe the contest from when you joined on? Calvin, you want to go first? Before I say anything about that, I just want to say that, you know, you have taken procrastination to a completely new level. Usually when I want to put off doing work, I just play Overwatch or something, you know? You just just throw together a whole thing. Yeah. What the heck? You're trying to make life easier for... Never mind. Okay. um, I'm very bad at making life easier for myself. Yeah. Actually, you know what? I think that's a habit a lot of people in this hobby share. And especially those of us who make content were like, so huh, I have to go to Spiel in like three days. Like As of this recording, I'm leaving in three days. Why don't I write two or three more board game reviews in that time? Might so I can get them out in time for Spiel and I can have a review queue for when I'm in Germany. And I'm like, uh, anyway, sorry. And take an hour to record a podcast. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm doing another one on Monday. Um, oh, gosh. The... The question was, how did I get involved with this contest, right? You asked me. Yes, yeah, basically. Like that, you, you, you asked me, hey, Calvin, do you want to judge a contest? It'll be two minutes of your time per entry because the format will be a two-minute video and then you can read a short description of the game and then you can give your feedback. And I was like, two minutes per game? Yeah, I can do that. <laughs> how many games could there possibly be? I was hoping for 40 or 50. Yeah, and how many did we end up doing? 87. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so not only not only were there eighty seven, uh, you know, so there's a hundred and you know eighty minutes. Am I doing it right? Hundred and seventy ish minutes of um, yeah. of thing to watch, which is what three hours. Uh, I also spent at least, and I'm sure you can attest to this, five to ten minutes per entry, typing out feedback. Yeah, <laughs> yeah your your feedback yeah. was not short. No, no, it wasn't. And I, but the thing is, for me, like I felt that with ninety nine percent of the games, they really tried. Like they gave a lot to this game, even if it was you know just like like some uh, thrown together prototype with some some scraps of paper, and the camera recording was like jittery, and the audio was like you know, it sounded like it was being recorded in a container. They, I, I could feel. I could really feel that these people love these concepts 
and loved these games. I mean, there was an entry fee, right? $5? Yeah, so yeah, exactly. There was an entry fee. So it's not just people throwing their game at at, at at a wall and seeing what stuck. These people paid actual cash to get feedback on this game. So I felt it would be completely unfair of me to just write, Oh, hey, nice pitch. Okay, thanks, bye. I mean, just now I was accusing you of making life difficult for yourself, right? I mean, pot, <laughs> kettle. I only asked you to do five entries. <laughs> I. They all looked so interesting. Right. I'm still seeing so many of them like now after the fact because I think I only judged thirteen. I think because turns out I was really busy organizing the contest, which I we didn't really factor in, mm-hmm. so I didn't have a lot of time for actually judging. I judged mostly the the early entries. I got to see those because it wasn't busy. But then once the last two days when like sixty entries all came in together. Then it was just organizing and sorting stuff and organizing and organizing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can but imagine. I'm still seeing a lot of them now. Like, round two stuff is coming in, so I'm, like, checking out that. I'm like, oh, I didn't even know this game was here because there was just so much. But, I mean, that's <laughs> great, and that's why I managed to get so many judges that made it possible. Mm. So, Anna Maria, your your story of how you got into this? Oh, um, so, yeah, I got your note as well about judging. And, of course, at first I was like, um, did you send this to the right person or did you actually mean me? Oh, you meant me. That's cool. So, you know, I thought as well, that doesn't seem like a huge time commitment. And, honestly, the first couple of weeks there were only about 12. So I was like, oh, I'll save it for the last week because that's not a whole lot to do. Um, and then, <laughs> yeah, and then there were an awful lot to do. But the enthusiasm everybody was very enthusiastic about their game everyone was obviously and calvin said this you know they they were giving us you know their little brain baby right and it just seemed important that they got that feedback that they got good genuine feedback that was both you know helpful and considerate because they were you know considerate in in giving us these things to to look at you both look at this from a really nice angle (laughs) <laughs> I honestly actually wish I could have spent more time doing it. I agree with it that. Was, it was a lot of fun. I wish you could too. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. And I really enjoyed looking at all, all of... I looked. I enjoyed looking at all of the games. And I think I would love to play like 90% of them. Like they actually look like games like put this in front of me right now. And about, I would say 10%-ish were like, these could be published tomorrow and I would buy them. Yeah, there's a, there's a lot of very strong entries. Which, oh yeah, I mean, can be attested to the. I don't have the numbers with me right now, but the final the final scores, most of them ended up being separated by less than a tenth of a point. Wow. Like there's, and like that cutoff point was, like a hundredth of a point difference between the one that made and the one that didn't. Because I had to cut, I had to cut to somewhere, and thirty seemed like an okay number. Yeah. Although, seeming like a lot now that I'm getting all like, well, I got all the uh, entries in. And some of them are long. I was actually shocked that round two was as high as 30, but there were so many good games. Yeah, it's... It's like so the, hard. Like, I mean, number 31 was pretty good, too. Like, what are you going right. to do? <laughs> yeah, uh, it's tough. I mean, there were even a couple, like, surprisingly further down, there's one that, Calvin, I know you really enjoyed. Oh, it got my two favorite scores. Game, my favorite game of the entire contest. Like, I need that game um, on my shelf today, on my table today. Was oh, a color color prototype, right? Yes, it's called Color Game Prototype, and it's a cyberpunk uh, game of card management and resource control. Yeah, love it, love it. But it didn't it didn't manage to make the top cut, unfortunately. I was, I was very surprised because it had two perfect scores. It's the only game with two perfect scores that didn't make the top thirty. Wow. Yeah, and 
I was shocked. I was very surprised, but I yeah. mean, that's how the math works, I guess. So hopefully, I believe it is Orion did that. Hopefully, Orion continues with that, and uh, maybe we'll see it next year. Yeah, but uh, he did. He did get another title into the top thirty. So I don't feel. Uh, I I think that at least you know there's that. Yeah, it was it was a very tight competition. So I'm glad I had all the judges because if I did even the majority myself, I would feel. Like very at fault for anything that happens, good or bad. Oh yeah. But having all of the judges, you can spread it out so you can say like, I honestly believe this is the best game ever. If forty people say they don't. Well, and you need the perspective, right? Exactly. You know, I mean, what I like is not going to be what you like, and not what Calvin's going to like either. So you kind of need at least three or four eyes looking at each game to go, okay, I hate this mechanic usually, but I love this theme. So you know, I don't understand the guy. Oh, I totally, you know, get what that person's saying. Anna Marie says perspective. I say diffusion of responsibility and blame. <laughs> it both works. Tomato, tomato. <laughs> yeah, but, yeah. yeah, I was hoping for at least five judges on each entry initially, and then the judges were great and pushed through, so we managed to get to 10 minimum, which I think the average ended up being a little over 13 per entry. Wow. So I think that was pretty good to spread it out and get a good idea. Yeah, I, 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 bet, I bet that feels really good for the people who entered as well to keep getting feedback on the game. Did you know that somebody actually contacted me on Twitter, one of the designers, and followed up with me and saying, hi Calvin, can you please help me advise uh, future how to, how to do my game? And I'm like, yes, I would love to help you. I think your concept is great. Uh, I get a couple after, of those as well. After, after Essen, though. After Essen. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you come on. You've got like 30 minutes. You could squeeze that in there. That's a no. That's a no. <laughs> well, that's that's great to hear because that's like one of the... A couple of things I wanted for this. One, selfishly, I want to promote the podcast. I feel like, I feel like efforts like that, right? Efforts which are good for the community and also good for yourself. I think that's really the direction to go. I feel like... I feel like there's not enough cross-promotion and cross-pollination between media and content producers. Like, I'm always trying to, to spread good content. Like, I'm always retweeting and tweeting about people who write good stuff and make good stuff. I mean, I wish I could spend more time consuming content. Yeah, I, I don't it, have much time for that either. Was it, was it Suzanne from the Dice Tower who said, producing content, consuming content, playing games, pick two? <laughs> I think so, yeah. Yeah, I don't it really feels play games sometimes. anymore. So what like are I games? couldn't do reviews. What are those? <laughs> I think I think they're those boxes that sit on my shelf and stare at me with shame. It's like you yeah, haven't reviewed oh. me. I can buy games, I can design games, and I can talk about designing games. I don't get to play them though. <laughs> and I should maybe stop the buying. But yeah, so that that was the one thing, was promoting the podcast and getting that out there. The other was getting a lot of judges together some bigger name judges too to get people to look at people's entries and get feedback uh, mm. my main prize I was giving away was feedback Yeah. also I threw in some cash prizes which turns out I really didn't have to but I was kind of worried about the first year attracting yeah, people yeah. so I'm like oh winner gets $100 that should be good and luckily the entry fees actually covered all the prizes so I'm yeah, kind of yeah, net yeah, zero yeah. for this nice. minus hundreds of hours of work but, well, um, yeah when, so. I, when I mean, when I saw the entry fee, I was at first I was like, my initial gut response was like, what an entry fee? But then I thought about it for like two seconds, and I'm like, one, it restricts the entries to a manageable level because pe only people who are really that's serious. A, that's about a very it useful thing for it. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Will enter. And two, I realized I didn't realize at first that there was a prize for winning. The moment I saw there was a prize, I oh yeah, okay, okay, fine, fine, whatever. You know, I get it. So I realized later though that so it's a hundred dollars for first place, yep. and twenty five for the other four finalists. 
mm-hmm. that might not even cover shipping their game. So it's kind of not really a prize. <laughs> but <laughs> subsidized shipping is a it's good something. thing, right? Yeah. yeah. But yeah. I was happy that I got enough entries that it's actually covering it. And then I did some um, random prizes, which a lot of them were print and plays from Button Shy because they're digital and you can just email them. But I did a couple of boxes of games from my collection because I have to call my collection anyway. So paid for the shipping for those and sent out a couple boxes. I'm sorry, sorry. What is this word you said just now? Call your collection. What does that mean? <laughs> so some people don't have enough shelves and they spent way too much money on games. And they can't get the money back, but they can at least get the space back if they give away games. <laughs> what is this not enough... Sh- okay, all right, all right. I'll stop. <laughs> feedback was the big thing. And we got a lot of great feedback from the judges, which I managed to send out so quickly. I was very proud of that because I thought it was going to take days, and I managed to use my very meager programming knowledge to get everything sorted automatically instead of having to sort through... I forget what it was. It was well over a thousand. times ten, yeah, a lot. The most one got a twenty. I think it was maybe sixteen hundred pieces of feedback. Oh yeah. Wow. Was, like I, I still haven't read them all. My original plan was I wanted to read everything and make sure that nothing terrible was going out. Oh, but yeah. for the most part, I think all the judges are good people and they wouldn't say anything terrible. And so far, you and haven't also, received any complaints. <laughs> no, nothing, nothing too bad. So I mean, overall, everyone is very happy with the feedback. Okay. Um, I sent out surveys. I sent out surveys to the judges, to everyone who got into round two, and everyone who didn't get into round two. Although mm-hmm. the people in and out of round two were the same survey, I just separated to see if there was a difference between getting in or not. Mm-hmm. And for the most part, everyone was very happy about the feedback. Almost everyone would enter again or judge again, even if it was exactly the same. Um, there are a bunch of suggestions for ways to improve it, so be looking into those. But we're already uh, well into our time, and we have a bunch of questions from Twitter. So why don't we go over some of those? First one from at Fong Odin, who is Odin Fong, who is one of the judges. What were the biggest opportunities you saw in the pitches? Does he mean missed opportunities? Yes. That's ah. what he means. Thank you. Okay. Missed opportunities. I didn't copy his explanation then. Oh, uh, I see, I see. Okay. Um, uh, so, Calvin, you want to go first? I've been talking so much. Let Anna talk. <laughs> <laughs> Let's see, missed opportunities. I I think I think when I think of missed opportunities, particularly in the pitches, what I think of is people who maybe didn't think out their pitch before they just threw it up on video. And you know, while we got a lot of rough things that were amazing, if someone got halfway through explaining their game and then they were like, and I'm at my two minutes, so I gotta go by, then then they miss that opportunity to fully explain their game by not maybe having an outline or something like that in front of them to so they could hit all their salient points before they hit their time. Yeah, that's that's definitely a big one for some. Uh, I mean, the not everyone has the ability or knowledge to edit, which really helps with the two minutes. Sure. Limit, but as a lot of people were mixed on the two minutes, I think overall the judges really liked the two minutes because it allowed them to get through things quickly. (laughs) But a lot of the entrants were like, oh, could I have five minutes? Could I have 20 minutes? Could I have an hour and a half? And like, sure, in round two. (laughs) So I really, like, that was another thing. I really wanted the judging side of this contest to be really easy so the judges could just give us half an hour and get a couple things done. So I wanted low commitment from the judges, which I think is why I was able to get so many judges. Like, it tricked both of you into doing it. So. Fair. But, uh, so I think that 
I really think the two minutes is going to stay. I was very tempted to actually make it one minute for next year and maybe add a second or add additional round. So there's like a very quick pitch that then cuts down to a little longer pitch, but maybe one minute is mean. It's but a little mean. I think the two minutes worked personally, but some people did have a lot of trouble with it. On the surveys, there was a good group of people. Most of the people for the video said that it was a very tight uh, restriction, but it pushed them to be better. But some people said it was too tight. Very few people said it was fine. Um, actually, for the 500 character description, more people complained about that. That seemed <laughs> to be really? too tight, hmm. which I'm thinking of even getting rid of the description. I don't know how useful that is. Oh, no, it's definitely useful because they, I think they can put information in there which is not necessary. I feel like one of the things, one of the big missed opportunities, actually, now that you've brought this up, is that some people repeated information from the description in the pitch. You don't need to do that. Oh, yes. I have I have yeah. both pieces of information. You, mm -hmm. In my opinion, you should be using both, right? You use the 500 characters to put stuff which is, be which is best communicated in text form. Like, for example, what genre is my game? How many players it is, right? Because I can read this and instantly know. And I think you should save the video portion to explain things to me which are better in a video audio format. Like, if you need to show me how the markers move or how the board is laid out, that doesn't work in text. It works in video. Do that. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, that was, that was the other big complaint from, well, maybe complaint is too strong, but from the judges, they wanted to see the game. Like, some people, like, you saw them all. So the, um, the quality of the videos ranged drastically. But one of the big things was, if you didn't show us your game, a lot of the judges were like, I want to see your game. I want to see your game. I want to see your game. Which I never specifically said that in the, um, in the rules, which was one of the biggest complaints from the entrance was they wanted more... Precise? Precise. That works. More precise description of what they should enter. So right. not just give us two minutes. Give us two minutes. Include this and this and this and this. Right. Which, I mean, partly because this is the first contest, I didn't know what they should include. Now that I've gotten all this judge feedback, I know they should include the game. That's an important thing to put in your game pitch. Yeah. But some people just went more like it was an elevator pitch, and they were just talking to someone. Which, yeah. I mean, that's a way to do it. But if you have the video medium, show, mm -hmm. show us. Take a picture. Take video. Yeah. Show us something. It's it's better. Do not underestimate the power of putting text on your screen. One of the right. best one of the best pitches of the entire um, contest was by Brother Ming for his game Orb Strikers. And he was showing the... Um, okay, I know not everyone can do this, but this is not the point. He was showing a table, a Tabletopia or a Tabletop Simulator um, demo of his game. And he had text on the screen of like cards and character abilities and stuff. That, I think, is super, super useful. Like, if you can just say, and it's part of your pitch, and I'm just going to show a bunch of cards, just going to throw a bunch of cards on screen for like five seconds while I talk, and the judge can pause and look at it. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah, like use the medium to your advantage. Like your pitch could be, you know, uh, a PDF of your rulebook just uploaded to YouTube, and for every page, just you know, five seconds, and you just say pause each time, and with the voiceover narrate. That's a pitch. That's a legitimate pitch. It may be too dense, and some judges will hate it. But I personally <laughs> I definitely would... think of some judges yeah. hating that. <laughs> Maybe don't go too far in that direction. But I feel like that was a hugely missed opportunity for for a lot of people where they would spend a lot of time talking when it could have just been text on the screen. They have a two minute time limit, but it's 
two minutes of video and two minutes of audio. Mm-hmm. That's four minutes of information. Mm-hmm. That's you can get a ridiculous amount of stuff across in four minutes oh, sure. if you really, really construct it well. Which again, not everyone has the equipment no. or the talent to do that. And mm-hmm. if all you're doing is talking to your phone and you didn't even write down what you're going to say, two minutes is very short. But yeah. if you're spending days crafting a video, two minutes is an eternity. As content creators might know, putting together a two-minute video is a lot of work. It takes two oh, yeah. hours, yes. <laughs> it is much harder to create a two-minute thing than it is to create a 20-minute thing. Like, not even exactly. ten times harder. More than ten times harder. Uh, next question, also from Odin. What do you wish you had done differently in running of the contest? So I guess it's more directed at me. Um, based on the feedback, I, I wish I gave more concrete um, rules for the entrance. Um, again, this is first year, so it's learning. So I think I will give a little, a little more structure next year. But for the most part, I think it went well. I think like behind the scenes, we had the full list that judges could just go and grab from, which I took that from the way they set up the Boston Fig contest, which the main reason for that was it's less work on my end instead of having to organize things and send them out to different judges. And then if a judge is ready for more, but I'm not ready to send more, there's a delay. So I think it lets things go pretty pretty quickly as long as I can keep that spreadsheet updated, which turns out is a lot more work than I expected. But other than that, I think I think everything went rather smoothly. Any Any comments from either of you? No, I think it went really smoothly. Honestly, if you hadn't told me that you just kind of came up with this and then threw it out there, I would have thought that you'd spend a month or two kind of putting things together. So you had me fooled. Just imagine if I had. <laughs> I, I think Next that, year. I think that uh, like some parts of the form, like the, the judge feedback form, were a little more subjective than... Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I personally didn't mind, but I, I remember seeing in the chat group that we had for this a bunch of people saying, what does innovation mean? Yeah, well, that, okay, that's the other side of it. So the one thing is a clearer description to the entrance of what they should be entering, and some of the entrants even said it based on the feedback, was a clearer description to the judges of what they should be doing, which, I mean, to a degree, I want it open because it's their interpretation as a judge. But if one judge thinks this is innovative and another judge thinks that's innovative, you have drastically clashing scores on a game, which again is why I want a lot of judges to get on every game. So it it balances out any biases, confusion, you know, the rule of large numbers, you get a relatively accurate average. Yeah, yeah. Another question from Jay Weaves, Jonathan Weaver, who, also a judge, what speaks to the innovation score? So that's just what we were talking about. So for both of you, what... What do you take as innovation when you are scoring the entries, Calvin? Uh, have I seen this before? And if I have seen this before, because I mean, you know, it's a board game, so at some, at some, on some level, oh, there's going to be cards, there's going to be tiles, there's going to be dice, which is fine. Uh, but have I seen this before, and has it been presented in this way? Like card games, there were a lot of card game entries, right? But the, a lot of them felt very different from each other. I don't think we really had two games in the 87 entries that felt even remotely the same. Am I remembering yeah. right? No, I'd agree with that. Like, there's one card game I remember that was about, that was about like, oh, you know, you're playing poker against a uh, you're playing poker as a deck builder, right? You're constructing your poker deck and then when time was up... it was a solo you, game. Yes! To, yeah. to play to play poker against uh, a, a, a series of opponents that get harder and harder as the campaign goes on. I'm like, fantastic. There was a card game about stealing spells from other players and you had to roll dice to fit into the, the card. 
the spell slot on top of the card. I'm like, oh my god, you know, it's so... So I guess really for me, games that are high innovation are just doing stuff that that I've not seen before or that I had seen before but packaged in an interesting way. Even if it was just finding a theme that really fit the mechanics, fine with me. My innovation scores tended to be quite high. There wasn't too much that I felt was very derivative of other things or or at least, you know, things that I, oh, you know, I recognize this game, it's Agricola with another theme, but there were none of those that, as far as I can remember. All of them seemed to be at least 80% original thought, which I thought was great. Anne-Marie? I, I think, for the most part, I would agree with that. I think, for me, sometimes there were mechanics that weren't twisted quite enough to make them seem wildly different from other things that I know are already on the market or are coming to the market. Mm. Um, so... Sometimes sometimes it was as easy as, you know, taking a different theme and sticking it with a mechanic that I've never seen, you know, that particular thing before uh, together. Um, I'm trying to think of any particular examples that were bad. I don't think any of them were bad. I think Calvin's right in that almost every single one of them had something that was new and different and made you kind of raise an eyebrow and go, oh, that's that's really cool. So... Yeah, for me, the innovation, though, in particular was, you know, have I seen this theme and this mechanic together? Is this mechanic the same as I've seen it every other time in every other game? So that's that's the way I looked at it anyhow. Yeah, I'd say I'm right along the same lines. Like, is it... I mean, what I was hoping for when I started the contest was, is someone just going to come up with a new mechanism, which is nearly impossible and really hard to do on purpose. But a lot of it was, you know tried and true mechanisms in different themes or with different twists on them like uh the the secret recipe game with the like the barcode, barcode system which oh, looks really man. good so that was clever. really neat i was thinking the the woman who had the uh the vacuuming game right who yeah. thinks oh, of dust bunnies dust, yeah dust bunnies as a as a theme for a game and yet it was so cute there was a lot of different unique stuff which I, one of my early plans was I wanted to push for innovation, which is why innovation was the highest ranked stat on the judging, which was a system I came up with later and didn't tell people ahead of time, which again, they wanted more information ahead of time, which <laughs> next year they'll have it because now I know what's going on. But um, yeah, innovation was a big push, especially for round one. I was looking for interesting things that were new, not just the same old thing done better, which better is good, but I want interesting stuff more than I want good stuff. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, because I think interesting can be workshopped. Boring sometimes can't be made interesting. Exactly. Like, you can make a perfect game that's just not interesting, and it's it's not interesting. John Dubois says, What do you wish more designers in the contest had done and Odin adds and hadn't done? Which I think this goes back to the original question we did. And show your game. That was, that was one of the big things was showing your game. Um, and like you said, just getting getting more information in there, using the two minutes, like really to the maximum. There. Anything else you wanted to add? Kind of already went over this. I do, if Anna doesn't. No, go for it. Okay. Uh, yeah, I actually meant to say this earlier, but I got sidetracked, which is tell me what happens on your turn. This is really important. I lost track of the amount of times I typed tell me what happens on your turn because they would say like, oh, this is a game about gathering resources and oh, this or this is a game about like area control or this is a game. And they would explain that very thoroughly without ever telling me what I do on my turn. And it's yeah, a lot it of high level description. 
yeah, it was very frustrating to me because a huge part of how I judge and review and think about games is the moment-to-moment gameplay and the kind of emotions that it generates. Because, for example, Agricola generates an emotion of, oh god, oh god, oh god, everyone is going to die. (laughs) Which makes it very different from, for example, another worker placement. Yeah, exactly. For... uh, (laughs) Which makes it which makes it very different from almost every other worker placement game, right? It's the specific emotion that you're getting. So, I think that information really needs to be in there. And I would even suggest, like, as a as a tip for future pitches, tell us what you do on your turn. Yeah, that's a good one. Tell us why. Why am I a yes. farmer doing this thing? You know, yes. I mean, there are a hundred games where I can farm. There are a hundred games where I can go colonize Mars. There are, you know, a hundred games for every theme. Why is yours different? And why am I compelled to do it and do it in the way that you're pitching to me? Yeah, I'm down with that. Exactly. Elizabeth Hargrave, who was another judge, gave a bunch of questions. So what are some common issues, best practices among the initial pitch videos? Which, I mean, this is the same thing we've been going over a bunch show us your game, tell us what happens in your turn. So I don't think we have to go over that again. I, You know, I actually, can I add one thing sure. for this? Like, I don't expect anyone to come in with perfect video. I still take all my photos on my camera, you know. Um, but just a little attention to your lighting and your sound would go a huge way. I know there was one video... I couldn't hear and I had to play it probably five times over and over again to actually get the full pitch. Um, and then there was another one that looked like it had been filmed upside down that um, eventually I closed my eyes and just listened to the pitch because I couldn't, you know, without getting a little bit of vertigo, I couldn't watch the video. So just just small, like make sure there's a lamp, you know, behind your camera or somewhere so your game is actually lit or make sure, you know, you're not next to an open window. Those two things would go a long way just in the accessibility of both the audio and video of being able to judge them. That's a big thing in especially any of these video contests. Like there's a, there's a degree of video quality that matters. Like, as much as you say, we're not going to judge you on your video, if we can't get the information, we can't judge you on the information. If we can't hear you, we're not going to judge what you say. If That's we can't it, see yeah. your game, we can't judge what it looks like. Right. So there's, there's, it doesn't have to be amazing cinematic graphics, but it has to be hearable and viewable. Just clear. Just has to be clear. That's it. I, um, I was very forgiving as much as I could about audio and video quality, unless it was, you know, completely uh, non-usable. For me, there wasn't any that were like that, but I was very, very strict about one thing. Two minutes exactly. I ignored everything after the first 120 seconds of any pitch that was longer than 120 seconds because everyone else had to like scrape and squeeze and scrimp for every last millisecond of their pitch. And then somebody su- submits something that's 245. Mm-mm. Mm-hmm. Not, not happening. I'm not watching anything after 200, and I told them so in the feedback. Nice. Which I appreciated a lot. I decided to be very easygoing on that. There are only a few people that went over this year, but next year it's going to be a hard limit, like disqualified if you go over two minutes. There was one video, and I made an exception, which was obviously a technical glitch because the, the person would talk, the, the video would not move, and then after he was finished talking, then the video would move and like show the yeah. elements that he was talking about. So I was like, okay, I, I, will make one, I will make an exception for this video because it was obviously a technical error in the yeah, rendering I know there are a couple that like one of them went over because it had like 15 seconds of some description at the beginning that had nothing to do with the game yeah it's like you don't you don't need that and you would have been under the time limit if you didn't have that yeah 
But next next year I'm gonna have to do it at a hard limit because this is the first year like I felt bad disqualifying people. But yeah. like you say, like other people they did it. They stuck to the rules. So what kind of feedback did designers get from the first round of judging? So I I think they got a lot of great feedback. I mean, technically no one has seen all the feedback because I didn't even get a chance to read it all. But, I mean, I skimmed a lot of it. I was reading all the early stuff. You both know all of the feedback you gave as much as you can remember because you did so much. But, I mean, it was all, from what I've seen, like really good positive feedback, constructive feedback, um, partially about ways to improve the pitch um, and other things about the game itself. So I think, I think people did get a lot of really good stuff, and I'm seeing that in the round two entries because another thing I wanted for this contest was having time between round one and round two so you could actually take the feedback you got in round one and implement it for round two and people are doing it and they're they're even pointing it out and like oh i changed this because like this was seen as a problem so um they got useful actionable feedback which they are using so i think that's really great that's good to hear any any comments on that from either of you knowing that you haven't seen most of the feedback (laughs) yeah which actually that brings up something that i'm thinking about for next year was is making the feedback and scoring more public which this is part of the question for the judges if so one was would the judges be willing to have the scores attributed to the feedback and it not be anonymous which this year you anonymous was optional and the scores weren't tied to the feedback so they only saw their um, their average scores for each category and then all of their feedback which the judges put their name on if they wanted to it was just more complicated on my end like sorting through like what was anonymous and what wasn't so it would be easier to have everything be public, like to the contestant. But then I was also thinking a step further, it would be so much easier if everything was public to the public. So like the feedback and stuff were posted, because I actually got a lot of judges and a lot of contestants. They're just really interested in all of the feedback from everyone for every game, just to see like how this compared to that. And like people want the data, which it's a massive amount. I don't think anyone would actually look at it all if they did. but. People were interested in seeing that, and a lot of the judges want to see like other people's feedback. Just like, how did this judge look at this game? You know, it's interesting to people. So, I was curious how much it would bother people if everything was public. And for the most part, I think people don't have an issue with it. A couple judges said they would not judge if that was the case. Some said that they would, but it would change how they judge. So, like, if it's not anonymous, then obviously you're. Well, some people will change how they speak about certain things, which may or may not be good. I mean, if it just makes you be a little nicer about your criticism, that's fine. But if it makes you not be critical when you should be, I'd say that's kind of a problem and detrimental to the game. What are your thoughts on, first, if it was not anonymous judging, so the contestants knew exactly what you scored and what you said? Would that bother you? Because I believe both you put your names on everything, right? I did, yeah. I did. So the only difference would be if the actual scores were tied to it. Would that change your opinion at all? No. Not really, no. I, I can I do I can see only one problem with this that I can think of and that's you know, somebody, for example, sees my feedback on their game and sees their feedback on another similar game and says, Hey, why you say this about my game but not about that game? Yeah. So that's that's the main thing I worry about with like especially making everything public, then everyone can see everything, is if that causes any harassment of the judges, which obviously I do not want the judges to be harassed. I, yeah, I think really you have to weigh whether it's whether the good of making it public is worth the risk. And unfortunately, because this is the internet, and especially if you want to involve more women in the judging, there is the unfortunate reality that you're going to have to deal with that. 
So it might be easier on the front end, but then there's a whole lot of community management afterwards. Yeah. So, and that's the concern. So that's definitely something I'll be thinking about and talking to people about for year two. I just had an idea. Yes. Remember how you said that uh, we were talking earlier about the $5 entry fee being like a sort of barrier to entry to make sure people didn't just willy-nilly enter? Yep. What if there was a level that people could pay to be able to read the feedback? If they, even oh, if they weren't in the contest. Interesting. Hmm. That could be tied into the Patreon. Yeah. So, so people okay. who are interested in design could do it. But, you know, it keeps just random people from just clicking through. And, like, for example, let's say someone has an axe to grind against me or, yeah. or against Anna Maria or against whoever, you know, whichever judge. And they just, you know, just randomly click through to the feedback and just find something critical to say, you know, or at least make them pay for the privilege of doing it. Yeah. That's a good point. Because the moment you the moment you put a, a money thing on, on even the smallest barrier to harassment is enough to stop a significant a number of, of people from doing it. Yeah, the ten dollars to view the feedback and a hundred dollars to comment on the feedback. <laughs> <laughs> oh yes, oh yes. Right? That, that would certainly earn some money. <laughs> Although the person who wants to spend a hundred dollars to write a comment, I don't know if I want to listen to that comment. <laughs> But, all right, back to these questions. What would it take to run a design contest that attracted more women as entrants? And again, this is still Elizabeth Hargrave. So this this was something that I talked to Victoria Kana, who was one of the judges, uh, early on. And, like, it was, I wanted to get more women to enter. I tried to get as many women judges as I could. So I think, I think building out more women judges is a way to help that. But any any ideas on how to spread the word and get more women to enter make a community where women feel welcome in the first place well i mean i mean you know uh, things that are actually possible anna maria not. <laughs> well damn <laughs> <laughs> no i, I completely no, we're agree working with towards that and we yeah, do better we are, we and are. better every day and there were you know i know there were a couple of women who were standalone designers in the game and there were a couple women who um, had co-designed. And I'm going to hit on that for just a second because it did bother me. If you co-design a, a game, ladies, make sure your name is on the game. It's important. It's important for other women to see that you're there. And it's important for you to get recognized for your work. So, Definitely. you know. I think I got to um, change the entry form because I just wrote designer's name or your name or something. Mm-hmm. I think I'll specify designers, plural. So if there are multiple designers, you can list them all. A couple of people did. A couple of people did, yeah. So, you know, once I saw that a couple of people had, I was like, okay, there's no excuse for everyone not to have Right, so I think I'll just point that out clearly that you can write more than one name in this line. It's not limited. Yeah. Spitballing here, but what if you made a version of the contest that was female designers only? As a separate contest or like the same contest run in tandem but split in two? Yeah, as a separate contest. As a separate con. No, maybe a separate contest. I mean, obviously, I am aware that there are a bunch of logistical issues with this, but if you did do that, would there be benefits to doing it? I'm, I'm not sure. I mean, you'd get all women, right? <laughs> but yeah. No, but the thing is, well, like, for, I'm thinking, I definitely for get example, all women, but the question is, would I get more women? Right. Yes, yes, yes. Because, like, for so, example, you have, like, female-only spaces and, like, online communities and events and stuff like that because the whole point is to make them more comfortable about attending and being mm-hmm. present in those spaces but a design contest by its nature is kind of solitary you know there's no community there yeah yeah so i don't know that, that what would if you just beefed it. up the community you know i guess that's um, true yes 
Yeah, because while I, you know, while I'm not going to say no to the idea of a, you know, women-only contest, to me, eventually we want to see the entire community come together, right? Yeah. Everybody, male, women, non-binary, whoever. Um, and if we keep making entirely separate spaces, then we're not we're not encouraging the other side of that equation to welcome everyone else. Um, uh, although at the same time, if I'm just imagining spitballing right now in my head. If mm-hmm. you did make a contest exclusively for non-cisgender people with a significant cash prize attached, you would be encouraging non-cisgender people to design games. Agreed. So there is that aspect of it. Cool. So that's, that's the question. Does having any sort of restriction like that, will it just bring in the portion of the contest that would have entered anyway, but only that subsection? Or would it bring in more people that would have not entered in the original for whatever reason? We need market research. Uh, you know, having everything public, like we were, we were just talking about in the last um, round, I know a couple of local designers who felt like whatever they were going to submit would not be good enough. And after we saw everything that we saw, look, anything was good enough. Just anything. Just two minutes on camera with a couple of pieces of paper, you're golden. And I think if we make the videos more public or, you know, the pitches more public, it might instill a little bit more confidence in someone who maybe isn't well known, who isn't, it's their first time or isn't really big in the community or is just a little nervous in the community because of bad experiences to go ahead and just throw it out there because, you know, everybody else did. Well, I even had to deal with that with some of the judges. I'd ask people, like, oh, do you want to be a judge? And like, well, I don't think I'm really qualified. And you're like, well, you're a game designer. You you give feedback to people all the time. That That's all it is. Imposter so, syndrome I mean, is strong. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's very strong. I mean, even, even with myself. But here I am doing this podcast and running a contest on a whim. You really can do it. You just got to do it. But, I mean, I would love to get more entries because 87 was great. Next year, I hope for 100. If everyone enters again and we get... That's only 13 more people. Yeah, 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 true. But then I, I need to hit 100 judges as well. So. <laughs> hopefully, hopefully you will both be back to judge next year. I, don't know. I would love you to. You can it bring was great. three friends each. <laughs> <laughs> what is this, a pyramid scheme? <laughs> to a degree, yes. And the entrance are the winners with all their feedback. I mean, now that I figured out this automated way to get the feedback to them, I'm less concerned about having too much. Like, originally, I was very worried about too many entries that I couldn't handle it and too many judges that I couldn't organize all the feedback. But with what I've learned from this one, I I think it scales to pretty much whatever level as long as I don't crash the database I'm using. But I think, like, getting more women to it, it was, it was a concern from the beginning. Um, I don't personally know all of the judges, but I did try to focus on people that I knew from online that are inclusive and aren't going to be problematic in any sort of way, especially for certain entrants. So I tried to focus on that, and I think growing the community of judges and like getting more female judges, more non-binary judges, more judges from every single aspect of the community would be great, and especially promoting that more, and they can reach out to their communities and say, would you like to enter this contest? And trying to build the community of the contest that way to get more people interested and make them feel safe in entering. And like Anne-Marie was saying, if we make stuff more public, they can see like, oh, this is really easy. And you'll get a ton of awesome feedback, even if you don't make it around two. So many people from round one were very happy with their feedback and more than happy for the $5 entry fee and the work they put in getting all that feedback, which is what I was hoping, because obviously not everyone can move on. 
but definitely something to think about and if anyone out there has more suggestions you can reach me on Twitter or email or the website or however you want I'm all over the internet and let me know any suggestions for next year so another one from Eric Francis he was also asking uh, <laughs> looking over the entries I can't remember seeing many if any women's names among them so like like we were talking about there there were some some that weren't credited and like that's that's something we have to build up and build the community and make make it feel like a safe place to enter possibly doing separate contest but definitely something to improve and work on as both Anna Maria and Calvin are writers, I'd be curious about their opinion on the top three and bottom three things a board game rulebook must and mustn't have to make them understandable and enjoyable, beside the obvious things like goal, rules, and proper English from Cheap Sheep New Zealand. <laughs> or proper whatever language they're written in the first place, right? <laughs> True. For this contest, English. So, I mean, we're, we're just looking at rule books and videos now, how to play videos. So, yeah. Anna Maria, why don't you go first? <laughs> I was like, oh no, pick Calvin, pick Calvin. Um, I, have on, I have answers if you want to think about it. Go for bit. it, please. Okay. So, I'll alternate. So, one of the, for, number one, the first bad thing is he pronouns exclusively throughout the rule book. Don't do this. It's 2018. Singular they has been around for eight is it 800, 600, 700? What? Centuries, right? Sing, use yeah. singular they. Uh, in, an, in an English rulebook, definitely do it. Uh, in other languages, I'm not sure how the gender thing shakes out. Uh, I'm not the expert to be consulted there, but there are definitely lots of people on the internet who can easily be consulted who will be happy to answer your question. One of whom is Gaming Rules Vids, Paul Grogan on Twitter. He is 100% done with single pronoun rulebooks and does not mind saying so over and over again. So on, on that line, which I'm all for singular they, but I like to write mine in second person. So oh I'm yeah, that's talking fine. to the player. That's fine. There's no gender. I know some, some people have said they don't like that, but I think <laughs> it makes more sense. That's how you teach a game. You yeah. say, you do this on your turn. You do that. You can. You can use the player, you know, yeah. because yeah. everyone's the player. Yeah. There's so many good alternatives that there's, yeah, there's no excuse for using he for everything. Or, you know, using she for everything, really. The the, the first good thing, I think, is um, give me the goal. And especially the goal of each section. For example, you know, uh, the goal of the game. And then next one, the goal of your turn. What, do you suppo- what are you trying to do on your turn? On your turn, you are trying to collect resources to buy bus stations or whatever, right? Just, just one sentence at the start of the your turn section will sort of illuminate a lot of stuff because I think a lot of robots are not badly written. I think they're mostly badly organized. Yeah. And just that, yeah. you know, for example, they say, oh, these are, you know, please place X um, collection tokens on these spaces on the board. I'm like, what's a collection token? What am I doing? <laughs> I have no context. Yeah. Go to page six to find out what collection token means. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I'm always telling people to organize their rules backwards. You start with, how do you win? And then, how do I get to that? And then, how do I set up that? And, like, it doesn't make sense when you're thinking about it. Like, I'm not going to play backwards, but you have to know the end to get to it. Yeah. Context is very important. Um, Another thing that's bad, I think, is uh, not enough diagrams. Sometimes you just need a diagram. Um... Something else that's really good that I've seen some rulebooks doing is alphabetized index. So I'm not so I'm not searching through uh, where is that rule again? Where is that rule again? 
flip, 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 flip. Yeah, alphabetized index. Very good, very helpful. Is there is there a minimum length of rule book that you would want that in? Because if you have one page of rules, no, that's you're fine. not going to have. If you have one but, page, like, if you have one page of rules, that's what's fine. the line? Three pages, five pages. I guess it also depends on how many keywords you've got, <laughs> yeah. and how many concepts you have to explain. Um, things to things to not do. Yeah, related to that, burying rules in like random paragraphs, just off to the side somewhere. Oh yes, by the way, the tiebreaker is in the third paragraph on the how to win portion on the first page <laughs> and nowhere else don't do that uh, one thing to do is repeat things I guess multiple times like in, in every section that it's relevant you know like you say how do you win this is how you win in the how to win section you win by you know in the how to, in the your turn section your goal is to accumulate yeah the, the important stuff repeat repeat it yeah. that's that's all I've got that I can think of. Henry, anything, anything else to add? Um, I would think my number one pet peeve with rule books are wall of text rule books. You know, um, if it's nothing but page upon page upon page, if it looks like I'm reading a book in order to read the rule books, I don't mind complicated. I actually, that's heavy euros are totally my bag and I love war games, but break it up, you know, give me some subheadings that explain what this section is going to cover. Um, throw out that diagram. Give me some pictures, more pictures, please. Oh yes. Um, that was something else I wanted to say. Subheadings. Subheadings are your friend. Lots and lots mm -hmm. of subheadings, sub subheadings yep. even. <laughs> the subheading to the subheading of the subtext of the chapter. Um, and it also helps a lot with reference, like you're saying. Like well, exactly. The in the paragraph, it's like, I should be able to look at a page and be like, there it is. There's the giant, bold word I'm looking for. Right. If, you, you know, if you're not going to put an index in there, if I've got a subheading that specifically says, you know, how the end of this round works, then I know that's where I need to go to find the question for what we're doing here at the end of this round. So I think that's a big one. Um, we go back to that show me that we're talking about. I think of um, the, the show me song in My Fair Lady, right? You know, don't, don't, you know, put out all these words. Show me. Show me how the game is laid out on the table. Don't say, you know, take a stack of cards and put it next to the game board. Just show me the stack of cards that's next to the game board. We're done. It's a picture. It's worth a thousand words. You can talk about something else now. I think a lot of people, I think a lot of people, they think of the rule book as a text document. When it's not, it's a visual document. Like, even the amount of text you're using has to be visually organized to make sense. Like, mm -hmm. it's something people are looking at, not really something people are reading, if yeah. that makes sense. Yeah, no, it does. No, the only thing I was going to add is I love games that are introducing sample play as the way to learn the game instead of reading the rule book. If it's got a setup sort of like uh, XCOM does this, Unlock does this, where it's like, okay, open the box, lay these three things out. Now we are going to step by step you through your first game. And now you will know how to play instead of someone has to read 26 pages and then explain it to the rest of you guys how to play, right? You, you know how to play by the time you've gotten to the end of that. I think those type of rules are amazing. Yeah, that's that's something that's that's catching on and I think it's really, really good. So the only thing I would add is a quick start guide because so many of these games, they're they're complex. You learn them, you take a, like one learning game and you've lost everything and then you come back two weeks later or a month later and you don't want to read the whole thing again. But you, you kind of know how it works. You just don't remember if it's $25 to start or $30 to start. Just one page with that laid out, it can save so much time of searching through a possibly terribly organized rule book. Yeah, it could even be, okay. you know, the last page or the second last page. Quick yeah. start guide. The back cover. You know, you just flip the rule book over and there it is right there on the back cover. Bam. Right. You don't even have to open it. It's all right there. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
But uh, okay, last question, which is very similar. What are you looking for in the rulebook, especially on the question of brevity versus completeness from Winged 5 games? So I want everything to be super complete, but also very short. So give me both and figure out how to do it. <laughs> how do you, uh, are you a fan of the two rulebook system where one is the learn to play and the second one is the index with ev- absolutely every single rule in it? I love I have, that. I've never dealt with one, but I like the concept because I'm... I'm a magic player at heart. That's how I got into gaming, is playing magic first. And if you're familiar with magic, it has a several hundred page rulebook for the official mm-hmm. rules. Fourth edition, what? I like that. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. I like having an answer to every possible question. Because they have a competitive scene and judging and like lots of money on the line, they can't have questions like yeah. a lot of board games can be like, we'll figure it out, whatever. But I don't like that. I like having the answer there. But that's also absurd. That's not how you learn magic. You learn magic from a much shorter, like, folded piece of paper that teaches you the basics that'll get you through 80% of the game. So I I do like the idea of having a full reference that is going to answer every possible edge case, but also something much more reasonable to learn how to play and get me through the day. Yeah. Yeah. uh, FFG is doing this two rulebook system for all of their games now, and it is, oh, stupendous. I love it. Yeah. Well, that is all our questions from Twitter, and we're coming up just on an hour of recording, which we started a little late, so thank you for sticking with us, especially Calvin, who it's past midnight for you now, right? What is sleep? <laughs> I am freelance writer. <laughs> ah, true. So it's harder for me waking up this early on a Saturday. Fair. <laughs> but no, I, would, I, would, I, I love doing this. It was a lot of fun. I would actually do another hour right now. You want to go for two hours? First bumper episode. <sighs> all right. Let's do it. <laughs> Actually, I have a call to set up Metatopia in like half an hour. So, but um, uh, yeah, I will definitely love plans. to have you both. <laughs> I'd love to have you both back on. Uh, maybe maybe after the contest we can get, because I wanted to have a couple more judges in on this, but the scheduling didn't work out. But I am definitely going to milk this contest for as much content for my blog and the <laughs> podcast as possible. So <laughs> I'll, I'll definitely have you both back on. Oh, Actually, thank absolutely. you so much for coming on and talking to me and... Thank you for putting so much effort into judging the contest. Like I said, you both did 87 entries, which I cannot imagine doing that. I think maybe the next highest person did around 60 or 50, which Flagger. is still really impressive. <laughs> but, wow. So next year we're going to have over 100, so I hope you're ready to keep your streak going of seeing them all. Bring it. Do we have time very quickly for me to ask Anna Maria something? No, we don't. We're all out of time. No. <laughs> all right, bye. Yes, go ahead. <laughs> What was your favorite game of the contest? Oh, if you can't pick one, you can name a few. That's really hard. Um, I can't. I can't pick one. Um, there were several standouts. I liked, oh, the salt game, just really. That was so amazing. I love the theme. I love the mechanic. Um, I love the little potion game. Um, a lot of these I remember more from the video and reading the thing than I remember by title, which is another... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Another oh, but issue, the po- but, but the, post- the potion game—I know exactly which one you mean. It was the mm-hmm. one about the magical students who are trying to like steal bones from the cemetery and stuff like that, right? Yeah, it was—it was just super. It was—it was quirky. It was funny. Um, yeah. I liked it looked the secret really recipe. Complete. It looked really complete. That one, yeah, that one was really close to done. I think the art was another thing that really jumped out at me from the yeah. very beginning with secret that one. Secret recipe was good as well. Yeah. Uh huh. And I really liked the color one as well. Oh, so, yeah. but. I, I, you know, that's my other bag I paint. So I was like, oh, you've already got me. So tell me the rest. So, <laughs> yeah, what was yours? It was Color Game Prototype. Yeah, just absolutely yeah. my favorite game of the of the entire thing by far. 
and I was so shocked when it didn't make top 30. I was like, what? I was too. I was, I, I really did. I checked the math multiple times to make sure I, there wasn't a mistake. So color game prototype, man. You got fans? Go ahead. Bang that out. We're ready. We're ready to buy. You know it's <laughs> the same designer as that salt game, right? Oh, gosh. All right. Well, see, I'll, I'll just buy all your stuff. Just send it here. I'm ready. <laughs> Dollar, got my wallet open. He put three entries in, I believe, if I remember correctly. He was the only one that submitted three games. Uh, it was Salt, it was Color Game Theory, and it was dun- uh, dun- Deepest d- Delvers or something like that. It was about the the heroes who go into the forest and avoid trying to be corrupted to steal yeah. treasures. And, yeah. yeah, that's the one. All of those are pretty solid. They were really so well good. Orion, out. Orion, if you're listening to this man, you, you got a thing going here. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> okay, yeah. I think we're done, right? Do you have anything else? I mean, I could talk. I could talk for another hour. Yeah, but yeah. <laughs> I mean, if I can just step away, you could both keep talking. But that would be that'd be a rough episode to edit. So I'm thinking about future Chris and how he doesn't need more work to do. Because or does he? <laughs> so this podcast goes up on Halloween, which is also when the round two feedback is supposed to be sent out. Oh which boy. it might get delayed. I'm just gonna say that here. I might have to extend it because it's also the day before I leave for Metatopia and I have game designs to finish so this is a very busy two weeks for me yeah I, I if if the deadline stays where it is I will not be able to judge because I'm leaving for Essen and then I will be in Berlin that entire time yeah and I love judging this contest and I really like you Chris but I am not going to spend my time in Berlin <laughs> judging a board game contest <laughs> no sorry can't go out and see Fair cool enough. stuff gotta judge the board game contest my girlfriend will kill me. <laughs> Future me will kill me. <laughs> well, I would just like not sleep, so. <laughs> yeah. Let's do some contact info. <laughs> so, Anna Maria, go first. If people want to get in touch with you and complain about your terrible feedback, how, how would they get in touch with um, you? Then contact Calvin about. <laughs> <laughs> fair, fair, um, fair. So, uh, Girls Play Games, obviously, I am on Twitter, uh, I am on Instagram, I am on Facebook, uh, Instagram's Anna Maria Jackson Phelps, Twitter is Girls Play underscore Games, Facebook is Girls Play Games, um, yeah, and I'm always, like, near electronic device, so if you send me a message, I promise you, you will get something back pretty quickly, like, shockingly quickly, actually, you're gonna see how, like, I'm... I'm really, really into this stuff. So, yeah. <laughs> and Calvin, contact info. I would love to say search Calvin Wong, but I've literally just done this on Twitter and it is a long way down before you find me because there's a lot of Chinese people named Calvin and Wong at the same time, apparently. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Ithala. That's I-T-H-A-Y-L-A. Instagram is the same. You can also try and add me on Facebook, but there is, an, is a very high chance that I will miss you because I don't spend a lot of time there anymore. Well, thank you both for coming on the show and judging the contest, and hopefully we'll have you back soon. Absolutely. It was a lot of fun. It was. I loved it. Onward! <laughs> and thank you to all of our Patreon supporters especially our inventor-level supporters, Brad Batchelor, Chris Turner, and Alan D. Eckert. That's all for this episode. 
can get the show notes for all episodes at boardgameworkshop.com. Follow the show on Twitter at the BG Workshop. Join the show's Facebook group to discuss the episodes and support the show on Patreon at patreon.com slash theboardgameworkshop. Thanks for listening. So we are recording. <clears throat> recording. <laughs> I'm glad you did that because I thought it. <laughs> <laughs>